Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to episode three of Steelers Draft Talk. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Again, you can find all of our stuff at youtube.com slash all Steelers. I'm Derek Bell. With me, my good buddy, Nick Martin. Again, Nick, how we doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, Awesome week of college football. A lot of of surprises, honestly. And I'm, I'm ready to talk about them for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was not the greatest college football slate on paper, but I definitely think it more than exceeded the hype. I was really excited about, um, I know you and I talked a lot last week, and then also this week as well about the Pac-12 matchups. They definitely lived up to the hype, in my opinion. Um, We'll talk about, you know, what we saw kind of in those games. But even the NFL slate, I didn't think was too great on paper this past week, but we got a lot of good games, which was, you know, really nice. Um, let's talk about, so we're going to do something a little different, um, today, a little more Steelers focused. We're going to talk about, you know, standouts from last week, and then we're going to have a lengthy discussion on the Steelers biggest draft needs. I know that you guys have had a lot of questions, whether it be on our videos or other videos about where the Steelers need to go early in the NFL draft. So we're going to get into some of those conversations and then kind of finish with what we're watching for, um, this weekend. So, I'll let you kind of go first on what you were most impressed with uh, during last week's, you know, college football slate. So for me, I was probably the most impressed with a majority of players for South Carolina. <laughs> there was, um, there were three in particular that stood out. Um, the guy I want to talk about the most is probably Cam Smith, who is arguably a top five corner in this class. Cam Smith, he gave up, he quote gave up a touchdown to Cedric Tillman on a slot fade but he was perfectly in phase trusted his technique got his hand into the catch point just Tillman brought down the catch and then he has a play where he's playing off uh they they throw into the flat he sees it immediately just clicks and closes downhill absolutely explosive fluid and he stood out to me a lot he looked like one of those guys that we're going to talk about at some point with the Steelers needs but cornerback in particular huge need Cam Smith think he's a name everyone should be familiar should familiarize themselves with I also would be remiss not to mention Spencer Rattler's performance out of nowhere where random yeah no that was really random uh i'm not gonna talk about him much as a prospect but he made some throws in this game that were just absolutely outstanding in particular he threw to two of his guys uh jaheem bell antoine wells who both stood out jaheem uh bell he stood out mainly because he's more of a swiss army knife he's listed around like 6'3 230 and kind of kind of like moves and like kind of built like Charles Clay back in the day um at tight end he he's got he's got some athleticism to him but they were using him as a running back and he was proven to be really effective in that role and i think a smart offensive coordinator when they get their hands on him they could really do a lot with him both in the passing game and the run game i'd say he's kind of a tweener but he's a really good athlete, and I think there's a role for him in the passing game, as especially. 
And one more guy I want to mention, Antoine Wells Jr., wide receiver, really stood out with his hands at the catch point. Thought he made a beautiful catch um, over the over the Tennessee corner along the sideline. Ended up getting his hands hands up uh, at the apex of his jump, timed it well, and there was a throw where Rattler kind of threw it behind him. Comes comes down, brings it up about as seamless as possible, makes some yards after the catch. He's a guy who I'm definitely keeping tabs on for sure. For sure. South, South Carolina prospects, they were impressive, man. I, I was I, they had they had a day, man. Cam Smith's a really interesting player to me. Um he plays a lot of off coverage. At least he did when I scouted him in the summer. Um, I haven't been able to watch a ton of film on him. I have seen him a couple times live, but you know, South Carolina's kind of been weird this year on both sides of the ball. Um, but Smith was interesting because I saw a clip from him headed into the week. He was a guy that I really did want to go back and watch, at least during the scouting process, because they were asking him about Jalen Hyatt and uh, Cedric Tillman. He said that, you know, he feels pretty comfortable running with those guys down the field. And I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Cause if you haven't, if you guys that aren't familiar with Jalen Hyatt, <laughs> Jalen Hyatt can fly. He's got yeah. like, a, he's going to be like four, three kind of in that Will Fuller, Mike Wallace kind of mold of what teams are going to go after. So I'm yeah. interested to see that game, uh, whatever we get to film from it for sure. Real quick on Cam Smith. He had a quote after the game where they asked him what they, what they adjusted to on the break and he was just like nothing just drop your nuts and i was just <laughs> I, I i love i love corners that have that swag to them jair alexander was one of my favorites uh back in the day and he's you know, he's, he's a baller for the for the packers and i i like seeing corners who can just talk the talk and walk the walk yeah cuz you have to be you have yeah. to be confident to play that position. Yes, absolutely. If we're talking like confidence, like quarterback is number one. Like you have to have that as a quarterback in order to succeed at the next level. But corner is right there. I mean, to me in my eyes, and this this comes from me being a for, former corner, like when I played football growing up and stuff. But corner is the second hardest position, I think, to play in the, in the game. And if you don't have that confidence, that swag, I'm convinced you just can't do it. Like you're not gonna ever be good. You look at the best corners in the league, just and how they carry themselves. There's a noticeable amount of confidence that they kind of um, display, really, on a play-by-play basis. You have to have a short memory too. So, um, I'm actually gonna talk about another corner, and this is a guy that I saw a little bit in the summer and wasn't getting much buzz. He's still really not, but he's had a phenomenal season. That's uh, Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois. If you guys haven't watched Illinois, they play almost exclusively man coverage. I mean, it's unreal. The most the most man coverage you'll see in the NFL is like low 40s percentage-wise, even from your man-heavy teams. Illinois is playing man coverage, I think, it likes on like 77% of their snaps. So it's an incredibly difficult thing to do on a snap-by-snap basis out there on an island. Witherspoon's a three-year starter for Illinois. Six foot, like 175, 180 pounds. He's very unique because they're, he's really slight in his frame, but he's physical. Like he will come down. He, he made a couple massive plays um, this past weekend against the run. Like he will come down. He'll fit the run. He's physical um, upon contact. And I love that in corners. I love corners that you don't have to worry about if they're going to be able to hold up in the run game. And in the screen game, that's something else has popped up on his tape so far this season. I did want to talk about just how absurd his numbers have been this season. They're almost to the point where you can't even believe how good it is. 312 man cover snaps. He's only allowed 12 catches for 109 yards. He's forced 11 incompletions. He's forced one less incompletion, meaning he has stopped like a throw at the catch point whether it be from a PBU or an interception, he's forced one less incompletion than he's gave, given up completion-wise on the season. Like That's absurd. I don't think that we're talking about that enough in terms of just how absurd or impressive that is. Only allowed one touchdown this past weekend. He had a couple more 
really impressive plays at the catch point. He has pretty good length for his size. Um, I'm thinking like 31 and 5 eighths uh, arm length. So above average, and he uses it really well at the catch point. And I really appreciate just how he plays. There's some short area bursts there. He's got a senior bowl invite. Hopefully we end up seeing him there. I think there's going to be questions about his frame just because he's only 180 pounds and you don't see a lot of guys that are, you know, six foot, 180 at the next level. But it really doesn't show up for me on film. Like even when he's gone up against some of the bigger receivers this year, I thought he held his own down the field where he wasn't just getting boxed out or moved off the break point. Um, So he's a guy that I really, really like. And I think, you know, has played himself into that conversation where he could go, you know, early uh, early day two. I don't know if he's going to go round one just because typically round one corners are young guys with a ton of athletic upside. I don't necessarily think that Witherspoon's this incredibly dynamic athlete. I don't think he's going to run great. I do think he's a he's a sufficient athlete. He's a good athlete, but I don't think you know he's going to be jaw dropping when they you know get into the combine testing numbers and things like that. He's a guy that just to me needs to test good enough and well to back up some of his incredible production in order to kind of submit his stock as that top 50 type player, which I think he is. And I think like the draft community really is going to start coming around on very soon. Uh, You meant, yeah, you mentioned like that, that aggression with the corners and just that physicality. He really showed up in the, in the run game and just tackling like in, in run support. What really, that was what really stood out to me in that game Oh, that was like my first time watching Illinois defense all year. And there's definitely a bunch of guys on that defense that we're not mentioning, but one guy who like, I, it was just impossible to ignore him. I'm just going to add this real quick was Jerzon Newton, AKA Johnny Newton along the defensive line. He's like more of the, he's more like 290 ish, but he moves incredibly well, has one of the top pass rushing grades among defensive tackles in the country. And, he just really stood out like Illinois defense. It's, it's crazy what they're doing this year and Witherspoon Newton, bunch of guys just really stood out for sure. And Witherspoon in particular, really feisty corner. And I like, and I like that a lot. Yeah. And I think that there are, there's just so many examples when I watch him where he just comes off as incredibly instinctual. Like there's a, like, I use this phrase a lot when when I'm like evaluating corners, like how they manage their space. Witherspoon just manages his space so incredibly well. And it's, that's really hard to do when like you're constantly in man coverage and having to be out there on an island. And I, I really like I really like this kid. He's a guy that, you know, is someone that I think, um, you know, he's going to have a lot of people um, in his circle come come April for sure. Um I do have one more person, and for the sake of the show, with it being an NFL Draft podcast, we're going to try to focus solely on players that are eligible, but just for guys that impressed last week. It's getting hard to not talk about Caleb Williams on this podcast. I, I know you and I were both watching the game and like tweeting, live tweeting the game essentially, but the kid is so much fun. I mean, really... I can't remember a time where I've enjoyed watching a player this much since Tyron Matthew was at LSU. I mean, he has become weekly must-see TV to me that I cannot watch. I can't look away. I have to plan my Saturday around when he's playing because he's just so freaking awesome to watch. Like the throws that he can make, the arm talent that he has is just unparalleled in my opinion. I mean, it, it's elite, elite stuff dropping arm angles, throwing on the run, just throwing into crazy tight windows. In that UCLA game, UCLA really got out to a good start and mm-hmm. kind of put the pressure on them. And this was on the road in a hostile environment. He goes for 500 yards and just literally puts the team on his back over and over. It just felt like when they needed it most, he was just making big-time play after big-time play after big-time play, tight windows, playmaking on his own. And – I know that you were a huge Patrick Mahomes guy, and I, I hate putting comparisons on prospects, especially for like Hall of Fame level players. So I'm going to tread very lightly, but 
you get the same type of feeling watching some of the things that Williams can do on his own that you did when you watched Mahomes at Texas Tech. Because there's so much pressure, like there was with Mahomes, to keep up and score every single possession. Williams their defense has, is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> UNC can't stop anybody. So Williams has to keep going, and he has to be super aggressive. And he's aggressive, but he doesn't turn the ball over. He's only got three interceptions on the season. Not very many turnover-worthy plays. It's just – it's incredible to watch. Like, I know Lincoln Riley's great. There's there's schemed open throws for sure in the system. Good offensive line. But he's done this without, like, two of his best weapons for the majority of the season. UCLA, we talked about Latu Latu. He was getting pressure off the edge, and Williams was just stepping up in the pocket and just making miracles happen back there. And he just has the feeling, to me, of a problem solver at the quarterback position. I just think that there's so much that you can do with him that arm, that rocket launcher on his right shoulder. I just think that the possibilities are endless. He's going to be a guy that I just think it's going to be hard for me to find to, other than, you know, size. He's probably, he's probably not six foot one, I would guess. Um, but I just think that there's going to be so many positives next season. And it's going to be fun to watch him and Drake may kind of duke, duke it out for that QB one spot next year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When a guy leaves me laughing every time he's making a throw, Every time he's, you know, stepping up in the pocket, making all these plays, especially like that's the thing with me. Caleb Williams is not just like an impressive talent. He's impressive mentally. There's a lot that he's doing in the pocket that really impresses me because last year as a freshman, you and I both talked about this. We said that we want to see him get a little more. Um, honed in on structure because he yeah, was very let's play, a, let's play a little bit like a normal QB. We know you can do the extraordinary things. Let's see yeah. if you, you can play on script. And I think he's doing the normal things extremely well. And the fact he's processing so well at a high level, it just has me excited because you don't see talents like that put it together, especially Fair. as quickly as the as he did. Like I think. Mahomes for me, he's one of those he's one of those prospects I don't think is ever going to be touched for me personally, just because I thought he was so special from an eye manipulation standpoint that there's no one even close that that gets that gets in that realm. But I think in terms of the arm angles, even the pocket presence and some of what he's what he's processing at the college level, I think there's a lot of similarities there. But I will not go one for one comparison yeah. because I just it's it's I, too it's too tough, man. Because yeah. like we especially like when we're talking, we're talking Mahomes. The fact that we're even saying that there are similarities, like obviously not a one for one type of comparison, but the fact that we are saying there's similarities between like some of the arm talent, some of the playmaking ability, just shows you how special he is as a sophomore. Because Mahomes, I think, in both of our opinions one of the greatest talents we've ever seen at the position. And then when you start to think about that and, you know, he was put in a great situation. So Williams is going to, you know, who knows where he's going to go. Cause I mean, I think very obvious to me next year, we're talking about him and Drake may at the very top of the draft, probably one and two. I mean, they're, undoubtedly could be a scenario where they don't go that high, but I mean, they're going to be top picks, which means they're going to a bad situation, not the Kansas city chiefs. Um, But having said that, you know, that I think that just speaks to kind of the way that we feel about his ability to, I just, I feel like he's, I use the term problem solver a lot when talking about Bryce Young, but to me, Williams is a guy that's going to be able to elevate his teammates. And I think that you see that trait with Mahomes in Kansas city, like um, this past weekend, Kansas City's down like what their four top receivers and Mahomes still puts on a freaking show. I mean, I know he's got Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid and whatever, but he can make others look good. And I think that there have been plenty of times this season where I've come away thinking that he's just elevating that offense. And single-handedly, really, that offense is carrying them into 
college football playoff situation. So, guy, you know, not going to spend too much time talking about him, but I do uh, yeah. I have to give him some love because I, I think he uh, he made my Saturday night extremely enjoyable. I, I, I loved I loved watching that game. It was incredible. A lot of lost hours are going to be spent watching Caleb Williams. As when I don't to need watch. to. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I said this last year about um, Andrew Booth. He was another one of my guys coming into the draft. And I didn't need because I was very confident in my evaluation of him. Granted, we haven't really seen him play much this year, but I was very confident in my evaluation of him. So I didn't need to go watch all 12 games of him, but I did anyway, because I loved watching him as a player. So, um, but yeah, let's, let's kind of shift gears here into more of like a Steelers focused segment. We're going to talk about the Steelers draft needs. I'll kind of get us started a little bit about um, where I kind of foresee the Steelers needing to go early in the draft. I think there's two very obvious ones that we've kind of discussed a little bit before the show, but there needs to be a concentrated effort to get a left tackle. I mean, Dan Moore has not been particularly good in either of the two seasons that he started. Granted, he was a day three pick, so I'm not really sure why the, they've put more pressure on him to succeed than probably should have been expected, but he's not the answer in the short term or long term at left tackle. And I think that everyone knows that and that's become increasingly clear. You have a rookie quarterback, one who really needs good tackle play, in my opinion, because he doesn't really want to step up in the pocket at the moment consistently. Granted, he did that better on Sunday. Um, They've got to get a better pass protecting left tackle. I mean, Dan Moore, I believe he's, I don't know what the number was. I forget. I wrote it down somewhere, but I think you said he gave up like eight pressures. Yeah. To he Trey gave Hendrickson up, alone. Yeah. I mean, Trey Henderson alone yesterday had eight pressures. And I mean, it wasn't overly surprising in how he was giving up those pressures. They are speed to power from a wide nine where he feels like he's got to open up and chase those guys up the arch. And then literally Hendrickson was just tiger lifting him or bull rushing him going speed to power right into Kenny's lap. And the thing with Dan Moore, we talked about this um, a little bit on Twitter, but I think that he has a fatal flaw for a left tackle because he cannot transition to his anchor quickly. If he does anchor well, it takes him three hops, four hops. And by that time you're already in the quarterback's lap. And what you want to see out of a left tackle, like, yeah, when those guys go speed of power on you and you need to transition to that anchor, it's okay to get knocked back. But on that first or maybe that second hop, you really need to be able to hold your ground and lift those pass rushers up to stop their force. He can't do it. And that's why he continually struggles against the same type of players, the same same type of pass rushers. So for me, left tackle is the biggest need because – of how much it affects or potentially could affect Kenny Pickett's development. The second biggest need to me, which is right behind it, is cornerback. I wrote a piece on this for the site, uh, which you can find at allsteelers.com, about how the Steelers have a really glaring weakness right now. They don't have the pieces to play the scheme that they're playing. They want to be man-heavy. Coming into the week, only two NFL teams are playing more man coverage than the Steelers. They are doing so with Cam Sutton, Levi Wallace, and Arthur Millett at quarterback. That is unacceptable. If we are going into a passing seven-on-seven tournament against the rest of the NFL teams, you feel absolutely terrible about those chances. There are not many receiving cores that those guys are going to be able to cover one-on-one on an island. And you're seeing that week after week, right? A.J. Brown, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. Like these wide receiver ones – Guys that you're going to have to deal with in the division with Chase Higgins, Amari Cooper, lit them up earlier this season. We've got to get real intentional about investing in a cornerback. If you're going to compete in this division, especially if the Bengals do re-sign T. Higgins, we've got to get more intentional about what we're doing on the outside. The pass rush hasn't been great, and a lot of that is due to T.J. Watt being out. It will get better. However, you've still got to have the guys to make it competitive on the outside because right now those reps aren't competitive. It's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, in particular, the game against the Bengals, like T Higgins, like he didn't do anything in the first half. All of his yards and his catches came in the second half. And I thought that was just extremely noteworthy. Like if you can't play man coverage on 
granted, T. Higgins should be a number one receiver on plenty of other teams. But if you can't play, you know, man coverage on like teams number two, like even Tyler Boyd, like you, if you can't run your scheme with the personnel you have, you have to upgrade there. Cam Sutton is probably their only decent long term solution. And I think. And he's been good this year. I don't yes. I don't want to take that away from him. But no. the fact that Sutton, I think, is to your point, I think that Sutton being the by far best, most consistent cornerback on the team is not good for the short or long-term outlook because he is a good player. I've told I've I've preached his importance to this team, the versatility, the things that he can do in coverage. I think he's super smart. I think he's one of the smartest cornerbacks in football, but he can't be your number one, man. Like you can't even when in surrounding him with the guys that he's surrounded by teams are just matchup hunting. Like when Arthur Millette's out there and they're on third downs or obvious passing situations, they're going after him. Levi Wallace has given up a ton of big plays, like whether it be touchdowns, long completions, things like that. And I think they were banking on Akilah Witherspoon following that elite kind of seven game stretch, but he's never shown to be a consistent player. And that's the thing. There has to be an intentional game plan on how they're going to rework this cornerback room in my opinion exactly and that's why you have to address it in the draft particularly and that's why uh, you know you're going to see team you're going to see drafts mock drafts with guys like keely ringo going to them early on guys with that elite athleticism the elite man coverage ability maybe not the most polished guys right out the gate Or, you know, a guy like Joey Porter Jr., guy who has ties to the team, also a great athlete. And I, I'll, I'll add Cam Smith's uh, name into into there. I think I think he fits a lot of what they could be able to do um, in terms of how they want to run their scheme as well. Um, in particular with their corners like Millette, like he just every single time he is just getting attacked. Like every team is just looking They're just like, Okay, where's Millette lined up? All right, well, we're, we're we're throwing we're throwing a T Higgins on on Millette, and it's just it's a, it's not just a Millette is trying. He he's he's physical. He does his you know he does his work in run support, but he's not that that coverage guy. And they're putting him in situations to where he can't succeed. You're even seeing there are times where Millette is in the right spot, but he just gets boxed out or dunked on at the catch point, and like. That's the thing, like those limitations, they're always going to be there. Like, and I even think that the way that they've constructed this cornerback room is very clear that they were banking on having an elite pass rush with the secondary just being good enough to not completely tank their defense. Problem is, you've got to play Joe Burrow twice a year moving forward. And Burrow has had terrible interception luck against them, in my opinion. They played him. They played him extremely well in week one, but I know he's got six interceptions, but two of those were those TJ Watt, like superhuman ability plays, which you can't really replicate or depend on moving and forward. Another, another one got tipped. Hit balls. Like, I mean, yeah. It's almost been lucky that they've even done what they have done to him. So I think when you're roster building, and I wrote this in my column too, but when you're roster building, you have to be intentional about, if you're planning on contending, whether it be for the division or for the AFC, we'll just start for the division because I don't think they're close to contending in the AFC anytime soon. You have to be intentional about what do the things that the teams in our division do extremely well and how are we going to combat that? And I think you're seeing like Cincinnati wants to spread you out. They love to put Burrow and shotgun. He wants to go 11 personnel and just dice you up from the spread. And they just don't have the guys to defend that. They don't. And and that's going to be the case moving forward. So I think, like I said, I just think that there needs to be some semblance of a plan on what they're going to do. Speaking of Joey Porter Jr., um, I think that is a really interesting name. There is going to be a ton of discussion about that because there's nothing Steeler fans love more than than, than some, some uh, NFL bloodlines exactly. and some Steelers connections. And it's also worth noting that there's very few things that the Steelers love more than that. You look, Connor Hayward, you know, all these, um, you know, siblings that they've had on the team. They love NFL bloodlines. That's going to be huge. And Tomlin's also, Tomlin's also really close with Joey Porter. So he is definitely a name that 
I think is going to be in the conversation early on. Joey Porter Jr., I have heard rumors, and I don't know if they're true or not because I don't have, like, a specific official measurement. I've heard rumors that he might have, like, close to, like, 35-inch arms, which does not exist in the MyDraftable database. Because I just looked this up because when I heard this a couple weeks ago, because I I went and watched um, the Ohio State game, and I thought he played really well, only gave up two catches, both of which were underneath. He had a tiki-tack, in my opinion, penalty down the field. But for the most part, Ohio State's damage was not done at his expense. But I, I heard I saw a tweet on the timeline. It looked like from a fairly reputable sports that he had like crazy length. And I'm going to try to find it and do some more research. But the length is going to be a very plus thing. And when you're talking about a scheme and under Terrell Austin, excuse me, that has transitioned into more man coverage, they're playing a lot more press man. They're playing more press man than I can ever remember. A guy like that who has good speed, I think he's going to run like four or five. Granted, he's, you know, six two, um, you know, 195 pounds or something like that. I think he's going to run in that four or five, four four range. With that length, it's going to be a huge asset in press coverage. And we've seen that on tape in college. So I definitely think that's a good shout in terms of um, where we're at there. In terms of left tackle. I think it's very clear that the Steelers are going to have three picks in the top 40, top 45. Mm-hmm. In those top 45 picks, one of those has to be a left tackle. I mean, the, it would not surprise either one of us, I think, based on the, how the Steelers build their teams, if the Steelers tried to put a Band-Aid on this cornerback situation. They sign some free agent. Maybe they spend a third-round pick. But they just don't prioritize this position in the draft the last guy they took in the first two rounds was Artie Burns that was in 2016 they don't really prioritize left tackle either but I don't see a scenario where you can leave those first three picks without one am I I correct in saying that no absolutely especially if you're if you're picking super high in the draft and let's say you're not quite in range for a Jalen Carter but Alufashanu is there one, I'd argue that has that's that that might be even better because right. you know he's he's gonna be a 20-year-old NFL tackle, has so much in terms of tools, but also is just when I watch him, something I look for in a tackle. I'm I'm not as huge on the verbiage of tackle play. If a guy if a guy's tape is boring, I like that. Yeah, it's good. And when you're when you're when you're in pass protection and you're so good, it's downright boring because the guy across from you can't even freaking move you or get around the edge. That's impressive to me. And I think when you combine that with his athleticism and his tools, especially considering his size, that's a guy who the Steelers would probably be looking at like immediately. It's like two guys from Penn State, you know. Joey Porter Jr. and Alufashanu, those those ones Big I names. will not that that those are the ones I'm definitely not going to be shocked if they try to target. I'm going to add one more position. I think Mason Cole has been very solid. Has been serviceable, serviceable. Sure. As as a, as a, the center, I think center is a position. If you go back through the Steelers' history. And I'm not huge on history stuff, but I think with the Steelers, the way they like to run, they love pulling their centers. They want to they wanna have those types of run plays where they got their center out in space pulling around. And I think they need to look deep into this class because there are a few centers. Uh, John, uh, I believe it was John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. And... I don't remember his name, but there's the, the Georgia center who is pretty impressive on the move, has generated a lot of push up front. And I think in general, like center has to be a position they have to look at because when you go through their deep history, Marquise Pouncey, Dermani Dawson, Mike Webster, the best sealer teams, they all had that dominant center. And I do think they need to look that very carefully yeah it's it's been tough because Colesman Dillon with an injury he's been serviceable um 
it's just tough because I, I think you can look up and down that offensive line. Other than James Daniels, I'm not sure they have a good player. Like they they don't have this massive black hole that they had last year with Kendrick Green. So they are effectively better. And I think it's a it's still obviously a below average offensive line. It just might not be completely terrible. And we can argue about, you know, potentially upgrading at center or if they weren't so financially devoted to Chooksakor for we could talk about maybe upgrading the right tackle position. To me, because there's not any sort of investment really in Dan Moore, that to me is the obvious kind of choice. But I do agree yeah. that like we could make arguments. I mean, left guard is another position that they absolutely should look to upgrade, in my opinion. I just don't know when that's going to happen. But I don't think you can go into next season with based on Kevin Dotson's play and say, here's the left ta- left guard position. I mean, they created this fake competition between him and Kendrick Green, but Kendrick Green's not an NFL player. Like, no. if you haven't watched Kendrick Green the past two years, he's just not an NFL player. And, like, there's nothing wrong with, like, saying that. It's not meant to be, you know, this disrespectful comment, but, like, he just can't play at this level. He can't. I mean, we, we've seen that. So, just speaking on um, Olaf Shanu, yeah, I mean, breakout age is the big analytics thing that – Mm-hmm. I think when you're just judging players based on when they break out, you are losing so much context that it's it almost makes it useless. But I do always find incredible value, like we talked about with Caleb Williams, like we've talked about in so many prospects in the past. I personally find it very comforting and exciting when you get these 19, 20-year-olds who come into college football and they immediately not only look like they belong, but they dominate. And that's really what Olush Fashanu has done this season. Fashanu, Penn State's offense is limited in the passing game because they have Sean Clifford, who's been there since like, you know, 2005 or something. But Fashanu has been so good in pass protection that his tape is going to look boring. And what you talked about with some of the things that stand out from him on tape, to me, it's the ability to be agile and move laterally that is so special with him because guys will try to go like up the arch and then kind of hit him with an inside spin move or like an inside swim move and like he can just mirror and match so silky smooth like he has excellent feet for his size and then the other aspect of that is like I think he's just got great excellent core strength I talked about this when I wrote about him a couple weeks ago but his ability to kind of generate power really easily from his core is really exciting. And you're, he's only 19 years old. Like he's going to get stronger. So that to me, and I know Penn State always produces these freak weightlifting athletes. So they come into the NFL already with that kind of acumen. But Fashanu is a guy that I think definitely in that conversation for who we want to see. Um, I just, I was curious on like, because when I've watched him, he's been pretty much non-existent. I mean, he shut out one of the guys that I'm going to talk about later in the show um, here in a second um, earlier this season, but he's only allowed seven pressures this season. One quarterback hit, no sacks. That's yeah. That's you are a left tackle playing for a power five school, 19 years old. That is absurd production i mean when you talk about that that is a guy that you get really excited about i don't know that he's as technically refined I, i'll have to do a little bit more film study as he was as a guy like panay soul coming out of oregon was but that's what to me was so comforting about soul was that he was also this incredibly dominant player early in his career and he was so young so the lions have this right tackle who probably would even be better going to left tackle if they didn't already have a stud on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to have this elite player at it, such a premier position, um, you know, and that that's, that's incredibly exciting to me as an opportunity for the Steelers. If this season continues to go the way that it, we think it will, and they end up with a top 10 pick. So, um, you know, there's other guys I think behind Fashanu, if they do kind of get out of that range, I think Fashanu does have what it takes to be a potential top five pick. I don't know if he'll land there because, you know, quarterbacks, they could draft a high. And then you got Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, both who I think we both agree are blue chip prospects. So they're, where does he land after that kind of tier? Or does someone, you know, say, hey, I need a left tackle. I'm, this is who I'm taking. 
Um, there are guys after that. Jalen Duncan's been a guy that we've talked about a lot on the pod. I was struggled. Yeah, I just I'm not there yet. Um, I do think that he's a guy that's going to get overdrafted based based on his tools, but I think there's just more work to be done. There's not really – I like Paris Johnson Jr. He's another guy that I would be comfortable taking um, in the top half of the first round. Um, I say that, you know, this is his first year going back to left tackle after he played guard last year, but he's also a really um, fun player. He's an asset in the run game as well. I think he's going to be incredibly crucial for teams that want to run a lot of zone running concepts because he can cut off, you know, three techs and uh, and down the line as your backside tackling and, and when you're running zone. And that's really important for your running backs because it creates just massive cut, cutback lanes, you know. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see that. We, there are other potential. Uh, we won't get into them specifically too much, but – for me, if we're talking about other needs that they need to look at, inside linebacker, defensive line, slot receiver are three like other needs that I definitely foresee being a thing going into next season. I just don't think that they're necessarily up there with you know left tackle and corner. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one quick thing: uh, the center I mentioned from Georgia, his name Cedric Van Pran, redshirt sophomore really good mover real like he's he's a guy definitely want to keep an eye out especially this weekend even if it's against georgia tech (laughs) um all right real quick let's get to what we're looking for um this weekend What, what, what you got so for me i'm gonna be watching florida state and florida because anthony richardson Got some confidence this week. He said he's been balling. So he's, he's yeah, 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 a little bit. Yeah, he yeah, he's he's been balling. They they lost a they lost a Vanderbilt for what it's worth. But uh he he talked about, you know, you know winning this game, you know, you build a lot of confidence and stuff like that. And he was talking about it almost like in a sure manner. So I bet Florida State's not gonna take too kindly to what he has to say. And they got some studs on that defense. Jared Verse, edge rusher. That guy, top five. I'd be surprised if he wasn't a top five edge rusher. Guy can absolutely move. He's got the hand. He's got the hand usage, the explosion off the line, and he's got the bend. But more important, but also like importantly, I've seen him string moves together. Like against LSU in particular, he goes for a bull rush and transitions to a cross chop into a rip, and I'm just like. I see those types of plays guys who can transition off one move and go into another. Those are guys that understand how to play the position. And the fact he's so gifted in terms of his athleticism, that's important too. And of course, one more guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on is Fabia Lovett. I haven't really paid too much attention to him along the defensive line, but he got a senior bowl invite and he's not, there, there isn't much with him in the in the stat sheet, but the stat sheet is very, very deceptive, and he seemed to have a pretty good game against uh, Louisiana. La, 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 I think it was Louisiana Lafayette uh, the week week ago, which is it's, it's bad school, but right. you know, like overall, two two guys really want to keep an eye out. Anthony Richardson, obviously, can he back up his words? Yeah, for sure. Verse to me, I like what you mentioned about in terms of like sequencing moves together because we see rushers that go in the first round that every year that don't, that can't do that. And I think that that when a player can do that at the collegiate level, it is impressive. And I think that that's something with verse too that I think really sticks out is his ability to bend up the arch with contact. And I think that that is also going to make him um extremely enticing i want to see more when i've watched him this year at least like live um, i want to see more snap to snap consistency um i do feel like there have been times where he disappears a little bit maybe i don't i don't i don't want to say disappears like a that seems really strong but there are times where i don't know that he's playing up to his potential and that's not necessarily um, saying that he's taking plays off, but I just I, I want to see him kind of take over games, and I, I think he definitely has the ability to do that. 
Um, the guy that I'm probably looking forward to most in the summer, um, when asked about, you know, who are your favorite guys for this class or who have you enjoyed watching scouting the most? Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame was one of my favorite players that I watched this summer. I really like this dude. I think he's so, I thought he was so underrated in the summer. And I, I was surprised that he came back to school, honestly, because I thought that he could have been a first round pick last year. Comes back, you know, he's, he looks the part, you know, he's six foot five, I think 260 pounds. He looks like a Steelers edge rusher, which is, you know, that's a good thing. And that's definitely what kind of drew me to watching so much of him this summer was because like, I'm like, man, this, this dude looks like he could play in Pittsburgh, but he has incredible length. He uses that really well. He loves to go with like a long arm stab and then work moves off of that. Um, but he has a really explosive get off too. So he can win, he can win with speed. He can win with power. He can run through the middle, uh, opposite tackles chest. Um, we just really haven't seen the massive jump that we would kind of anticipate, I guess, from a player that we already knew was good to really good. He hasn't been as consistently disruptive maybe as I anticipated. He does have like close to double digit sacks on the season. Um, he actually passed Justin Tuck last weekend yeah. uh, for the Notre Dame all-time sack record holder. So, I mean, that's you can see the production is very clearly there. Um, I, I do think part of the part of maybe his development has been a little bit stunted because Notre Dame moves him around a ton. I mean, they asked him to play some like off ball linebacker spy particular quarterbacks. I'm intrigued this weekend to see if he they do that to spy Caleb Williams. That's one of the reasons that I want to see this matchup so much. But USC has a really good offensive line. He's going to be going up against a left tackle who's a pretty quality player. They have good players all across that line. Andrew Voorhees is going to be, you know, probably a day two, late day two pick, in my opinion, um, their left guard. So he's going to get matched up with some guys that are going to be playing at the next level. I just want to I just want to see him finish the season extremely strong because I do think that he is a guy that could be like a top 20 potential pick. Um, you know, I, I think the production backs that up. I think the film backs that up. Um, just looking at my notes, 82 and a half inch wingspan. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's special, special type of wingspan. I think that's like 84th or 85th percentile for the mock draftable database among edge rushers. So when you, when you combine all those things, he's a really intriguing player. And I think that we, we are going to see a very interesting game between, you know, Notre Dame's defense. They've got, you know, really good players. Uh, Brandon Joseph's been around a long time. Safety for Notre Dame. Um, Cam Hart. They've got, you know, he's been a little bit maybe disappointing too this year. But, you know, Notre Dame's playing pretty good football. This will be a good test for USC. USC getting healthier, getting Jordan Addison back is huge. Um, Mario Williams um, getting back in the fold soon too. So I think that that's going to definitely be a, a, a very interesting matchup. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you mentioned Foskey. Uh, I actually scouted him a good bit because uh, I got to watch a lot of Notre Dame last year. Um, Foskey was interesting because he stood out a lot from a polish perspective. And you mentioned how his long arm is like it's that that that's how that's how like you know that's how he wins. That's his yeah. that's his that's what he works off of. And I think his hand usage plus his power was a was a big plus. I didn't see a lot in terms of like bend around the edge. And I think in terms of guys like, like that, they, they scream more like edge rushers that I would say are more like day two, late day one yeah. type of guys. And I think Foskey in particular, um, not, I haven't watched a ton of him this year because uh, Notre Dame has just been, <laughs> they've just not been the appointment viewing TV, no. but whenever, whenever I have, you know, Foskey still gets plenty of pressure. Uh, most of it is how I expect it. And I think overall, like he just seems kind of like a straightforward pro projection. I think you know what you're getting with him in terms mm -hmm. of polish. I think you know, you're getting a solid football player. Yeah. I don't think necessarily maybe a great one. Yeah. 
Maybe point. not like the highest upside of, you know, edge rushers in the class for sure. I definitely yeah. agree with that. I mean, the length is really interesting. And like, you know, there's, there's people every offseason we I feel like we have so many discussions about length when it comes to like, you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, pass rushers. It does matter. Yeah. But it matters more to those that know how to use it. And that goes from like an offensive tackle perspective. And it also goes from an address perspective. To me, Foskey understands what he has at his disposal. Like he can make first significant contact whenever he wants. And he does that. And he span, he has, he has flashes of where of examples where he just spams long arm stab, long arm stab because he knows he can do it. And I think that's good from a perspective of knowing how you're going to win. And that's a clear example of strengths. Yeah. It's a clear example of how he's going to win at the next level. I do think that I wouldn't call, I don't know. I want to go back and watch this year, but I didn't come away thinking that he was stiff, but I definitely see what you're saying in terms of, I think he needs a ton of bend. Yeah. I think he can, he can clear a clean corner. I think when it comes to, been through contact i don't think he's that type of guy i think he needs like that hand usage to just really make it a clean apex around the corner yeah and that's a good point too i think from a when you're talking about nfl edge rushers especially those that are going to rush from like a two-point stance which i think fossey's probably going to do at the next level um you have to be able to bend and win with with his explosive first step you have to be able to bend the corner enough when you have a free lane and you're not going to get contacted by the offensive tackle, that doesn't happen a ton at the next level at nearly as much as it does at the college level. Cause tackles are a lot better. What Foskey does. And I noticed this on his sack last week where he went kind of speed to power and then won the corner. Like there are times where he'll use that long arm or go speed to power where he kind of shortens his uh, path to the quarterback. And I think that that, He's an efficient mover at times when he's rushing from the outside. And I, I really like that because I think, again, I think it showcases a pass rushing plan and the fact yeah. that he mentally has the capacity already to kind of understand those things, which you'd expect from a veteran player. But um, all right. Um, I think that basically um, yeah. does it for us um, this week. Again, we really appreciate you guys supporting the channel, supporting the first two episodes of the pod. Um, I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode too. We try to talk a little bit more uh, Steelers needs just based on your all's feedback. So um, again, you know, you can find me and Nick's work at allsteelers.com. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel at allsteelers.com um, as well. Please make sure that you like the video, drop a comment on, you know, things that you think about the pod. If you have a question, you want to hear us uh, talk about a specific player, a specific game or um, if you guys have any draft related uh, feedback or questions for us, please drop them in the comments and then we'll get to them on uh, next week's episode. So looking forward to seeing you guys next week. It's been real. Y'all have a good one. Peace.